Wait, there's homework? We have to do homework before we decide to transition? That's a lot of work. I know. <laughs> Just do it first and then figure it out, right? <laughs> You'll have all this time on your hands later. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to your financial planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Now, here's your host, Hannah Moore, a CFP and the owner of Guiding Wealth Management. Thanks, Charlie. Last week's episode was one of the most important that we've had on this podcast. So if you haven't listened to the What We Wish We Knew Before We Left, be sure to go back and listen if you haven't already. Today, everyone from the last episode got back together and shared what we wish we knew before starting. Whether that's a new employer or starting out on your own, it was a great conversation and one that I hope you enjoy. Let's jump right in. I think most of us have worked as employees, um, Bill, maybe, well, I guess you have too. Let's talk about mm-hmm. um, what we wish we would have known before we started as employees for somebody else. And then we can go into what we wish we would have known starting out um, on our on our own. Okay. Well, I'll go first. Um, what I wish I would have known as an employee, you know, uh, it's how, how structured things may have been. And when I was going... I think really the relationship, how the relationship worked, you know, um, through all the tools and the resources and the education that my employer was providing me, um, I use those to service and help my clients and really, you know, take them to where I thought was most appropriate for them, you know, guiding them through whatever the products or whatever the services were that we were talking about. Um, But I really wish we could have understood how the relationship was between me and my employer, right? Who was I be? Who was I ultimately beholden to, and why? I think that that would have been really uh, that would have been nice to know from the onset. So, like, who? Yeah, it's so like who's paying your paycheck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. So, uh, you know, working at the insurance company, um, it's a, the culture there is is very in depth. So it's. You know, you gotta believe in the product. You gotta believe in the structure. You gotta believe in in your district manager. You know, all the way up to the corporate office. And the incentives to go on the uh, annual trips are always great, um, but that tends to come that tends to come first, and then we start talking about the clients. So. You know, uh, when I came into the position, really understanding that it was a sales position and that, you know, I was at the end of the day, I was doing everything that I could primarily to for the for the um, for the company. That would have been a good that would have been good to know on the onset. I, I think it may have it would have changed my expectations about working there. Um, and it and it may have helped me better assimilate into that culture, at least for that time. Um, versus thinking that everything was about the client. And then when I ended up transitioning, uh, it turned into more of a conflict than anything else. So Dave, how about you? What did, before you started working as an employee, I know you've worked at a number of, or a handful of firms. What do you wish you'd have known walking into those firms? I think I'd have loved to have told myself just to slow down, like appreciate everything that people are trying to impart to you in terms of knowledge or skills and really understand why they're telling you that. You know, there's a reason why you're given someone who is, you know, maybe five, 10 years your senior because they've been through everything you've been through. And if you get a good quality person who's training you, you need to spend as much time as you can with them because they are going to make you the better advisor than what you are now. 
And so I was in a support role for six years. And I look back and I sometimes think, was that long enough? You know, now I'm on the front lines and I'm dealing with, you know, client fires all the time. Could I have learned some other skills and maybe spent a little bit more time training and understanding how other people would have dealt with this who've been through it five to 10 years, you know, ahead of me? I don't think that that's typically our generation. You know, our Gen Y generation is typically the on-demand generation. They want things now because we can, but I don't think that's the right way to develop into this career. You got to take some time. I, you know, you bring up a really good point, Dave. I think um, maybe not necessarily going straight into client-facing is is the right approach um, when coming into this industry. You know, maybe spending some time in operations uh, and underwriting and client servicing. You know, things like that would be really, really good for an advisor to understand what the inner workings of a financial planning or an investment advisory firm actually is. Um, that would have been a nice that would that would, that would have been a nice you know progression into this into this field. Yeah, it's definitely frustrating while you go through it because you want to get to the end goal. You want to be that client facing mm-hmm. person. But even if you jump forward, you know, five years, if you think you're going to be starting your firm at any point in the future. If you don't know how to open an account with a custodian, you are not serving your client well. So you need to be able to learn all of that back office stuff before you can have an adequate conversation and follow through with it in the future. Or decide whether or not you're going to hire someone, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. But even when you have somebody, it's like the buck stops with me. I mean, I review the paperwork before it goes out to my client. So it's I still have to know that. I agree. It's I'm, it's the same thing I tell my clients in financial planning. I'm like, you as a client have to know enough to be able to call BS if somebody pitches you something and it and it feels funny. You know, like that. I feel like it's the same way as a firm owner. Like I have to know enough to be able to oversee somebody else because, like Hannah said, the buck stops with me. So if something goes out wrong, I can't be like, oh, you know, it was this person that works with me, la, la, la. <laughs> like that, that excuse works once, maybe. And then after that, you know, they're like, hmm, are you really very organized back there? <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. Am I doing this right? Is this the right form? How many documents does it actually take to complete a rollover? <laughs> or promising things to clients in a meeting that like I know when a client's going to have to sign off on something in the meeting Mm -hmm. Um, and so I can just prep them for that be like okay like we can do this but I need you to sign this form Um, is is a lot better at setting client expectations than oh by the way I forgot to tell you yeah Uh, that's one aspect that I missed uh, from my previous employer or have having an employer being with a company having the uh, you know the back office support um, that's one of the benefits of working for a larger organization or being with a company. The back office support and the structure is already there. I don't have to go back and recreate it and figure out what pizzas need to go where, you know. How did you guys tackle that when you guys started your firm? Was it uh, you you do your client meetings and then after, immediately after the client meetings, you're going through your paperwork and then you're contacting your custodian? What did you do to uh, tackle the workflow issue of being, let's say, a single-person shop? I let everybody else go independent before I did, and then I asked them a million questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody else that went independent before me. Appreciate it. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> yeah. 
I didn't say I it was the right way to do it, but that's kind of how I tackled it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, go ahead, I think go, going back to, I was saying, just actually going back to, you know, one thing I mentioned, I think I actually just recalled exactly what I did in a support role and actually tried to replicate that as much as I could and weed out the bad things I didn't like and incorporate the good things that I thought worked well and then try and fill in the gaps where I could. So I think that's why I'm, why I'm going to harp on about this whole support role first because that's you know, the mainframe of the business. Um, and if you can find a good way to do it, then it's easy to copy. And I was really, I worked for a solo advisor. And so when you're, when you're the assistant to a solo advisor, you're doing everything um, from washing the dishes to presenting plans to a client. Um, and so because I had such a wide variety of experience working with them or working with her, it was, it was just natural. It was just, I was like, oh, I've already been doing all of this. It's just, she's just not in the picture anymore. Did you feel weird when you had to take on that full responsibility on your own? Um, I think I had, well, I think I had been prepared for it. Uh, I say that now. Um, I, I always joke about how when um, we, I, I tell a story, I got married and then 10 weeks later about the business. So we had like zero money um, and, and I would just pace. So I think there was a high level of stress, um, but I think it was just everything. Um, so much change all at once. So I, I do think that it affected me, but I think like I had these logical processes and everything kind of already mapped out. Yeah, I would say if you don't have that, like, or if you haven't spent enough time mapping out, okay, what am I going to do when a client opens an account? What's my process going to be? It adds another layer of, you know, what am I doing? Like, and it's, you know, if a client comes to you and said, okay, I've got my 401k to go and I'm going to move it to you and you're not 100% sure exactly what's going to happen, you don't want to be sowing those little seeds of doubt in your mind and also theirs. You want to be able to just jump on the ball and say, okay, here, let's do this, this, and this. Um, you know, as much as you can keep that client in your court and not have them doubt you at all, it just makes for a stronger relationship. So by doing that homework anytime you can, whether it's another company or on your own downtime, that is going to serve you in the future. But that's also the, the point of having like mentors in the industry and having you know, peers that are maybe doing something similar to the, what you're doing or that are ideally a couple of years ahead of you <laughs> when, you know, in opening their uh -huh. own firm um, is because you don't have to figure it all out by yourself. You can, you know, this industry is pretty, pretty open. So, you know, if you have those relationships going into it, you know, there's, there are a lot of people that are a year or two behind, you know, where I was opening my firm that will call or text or email with questions and they'll be like, this is a silly question, but, you know, and I'm always happy to help them out with those questions because, you know, they might be trying to figure some stuff out on the fly and I already was there. And so, you know, it's why not help them, you know, kind of uh, get ahead of the curve. All right. And Katie, your phone number is? <laughs> You know, I think one of the other really cool things about starting over is you get to do it your way. And you, like Dave was saying, like you get to create what you want. And it's this really cool opportunity to really, like for me, the firm that I took over, they kind of said they did financial planning, but it was all back of the envelope. Like, yeah, we'll have those conversations with you, but like nothing was ever really 
I, it's in the gray area of what financial planning was. And so when I started, uh, when I bought the practice and kind of really took it over as my own, it was like, okay, now this is my chance to actually do financial planning. And so it was, it was a really cool opportunity. Um, so for me, starting a year own firm is really exciting, uh, because of all the possibilities that it brings. Absolutely. Agreed. Um, but that, that might be part of that transition as well. You know, what type of services are you going to offer? When you become when you become an independent or when you break out to, to do your own thing, are you going to start primarily as investment management? Is that your strength or your core offering? Um, how comfortable are you with actually providing or uh, producing plans? And will they be written? What's your business model going to actually look like? That took some time for me to figure out. As a matter of fact, that took me almost uh, a little bit over a year and a half after going independent to really figure out and hone in on my business model, almost two years really, before I got it down to a system that that I thought was best for the type of client I wanted to work with. And this is my second go round of leaving a firm to go start my own firm. So I did the first iteration and fell on my butt and then <laughs> decided a couple of years later to try it out again and it worked a lot better the second time around. So what were the different, like what made the second time around be more successful? I think the first time around, I kind of took, um, I took people at their word. I didn't do as much research as I should have. So I joined a group that was affiliated with an independent broker dealer, um, thinking that they would be outsourcing a lot of their planning work to me. And so that would be my, you know, kind of um, work that I could do, my side hustle, you know, essentially that would bring the money in. Um, and then I was excited to be able to work with them because I could bring them in on meetings and kind of learn along the way, you know, a little bit better with sales. Um, it didn't work very well because at the end of the day, they were, um, they're still pretty annuity heavy, even though they were with an independent broker dealer. And it's something where I didn't ask enough questions um, at the beginning to know that that was how they ran their business model. So after, you know, the first or second client that we worked with together, and I was like, this is not how I envisioned running the relationship with clients or the products that are being offered. Um, and they didn't quite have enough financial planning business to have me doing outsourced plans to begin with. So it didn't work on a lot of different fronts. But I'm going to take 99% responsibility for not asking enough questions before I jumped in. Yeah, that's a good point. What questions do we ask? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or do you even know what questions to ask? Like, I think that's something that you only know with experience, right? I mean, uh, Katie, I'll ask you that. Did you know what questions to ask on your first time around? I guess not. Um, I had worked alongside these people. So I guess I kind of thought that I knew how their business was being run. Um, so it was kind of a, you know, oh, well, I know them. They know me. You know, we're good. Um, without actually, mm. you know, sitting down and being like, what is the breakdown of the revenue that comes into this firm, which is the question I should have asked in hindsight. And I only think that that comes with experience, right? Because I, I think, you know, if you're a your career changer, you're almost at a disadvantage starting off, you know, starting your own firm right away because there's so much you don't know, um, no matter how much research you can do because you've not been in the trenches yet. And, you know, whenever someone starts off as a career changer, I, I give them a lot of credit because I think 
you know, it's just a, a steeper learning curve, not one that can't be overcome, but I, you know, give them an extra pat on the back and a lot of support as they go through it. But I think as you, you know, are in other roles in other companies, whether they're support or client facing, the more you're around, the more you know what's going on and the more good questions you can ask if you want to transition. I found, um, so I, I bought the practice. And so recently I found a, um, like a handwritten budget sheet that I had written out for like the business side of it. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, like, what was I thinking? Like, this is insane (laughs) Uh, for various reasons. But just looking at that, I was like, if, and it was, it was about two years prior to when I actually bought the business. And it was like, if I would have started, if I would have bought the business at that time, it would have failed uh, because the numbers just weren't there for a variety of reasons. And I didn't have the experience or really knew what was going on to really have that perspective. For me, uh, figuring out what questions to ask came primarily from what questions were my previous employer not asking, uh, were not answering. Like if I was, if I was asking them why we're doing planning in this direction or why I had to pass off uh, certain clients to other advisors in the office, why were we doing that and not getting an answer to that to that really made me hungry for for more knowledge and figuring out how I needed to do this on my own you know what asked what what answers were they not giving me or why were they not giving me the answers in that space and how and as I went about finding out what those answers were for me um, it was it became a stronger and stronger motivator for me to move out and, and do things on my own because that's the way we just do it bill <laughs> that's the way it's always been done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, hey Bill, just, just follow this system and you'll be okay. That's all, that's all you need to know. Oh, yeah, I, I get that, but it may not necessarily fit for all clients. Well, that's okay. If it, if it doesn't fit, then you just show them how it, how it can fit. Oh, okay. <laughs> we can always get a square peg in a round hole somehow. <laughs> um. Katie, I give you a lot of credit for doing this twice. Yeah. Like, why did you come back and do it again? Oh, because I'm the world's most stubborn person. (laughs) (laughs) And plus, I realized the first time that I was trying to do it um, kind of the easy way, right? Like, I I was trying to just go tag along with somebody else who had already started their business, who already had a broker dealer affiliation, you know? I realized that I was trying to just instead of roll up my sleeves and do it the way it should have been done, I was trying to kind of do more of the easy way. But the easy way wasn't in line with my values and the way that I wanted to be working with clients. And so, you know, I kind of realized that later um, on. And that's kind of what gave me the, I guess, the courage to try it again. And plus, I'm really stubborn. (laughs) Well, Katie, one of the things I really admire, because I mean, I knew you for both times that you started and like the second time you started, you're like, these are my clients. Like I know my clients and this is what they need. Like I know like these clients who I want to serve and I know what they need and they're not being served somewhere else. So I love that like client centered, like that's what I think really started your firm and like what has made you successful is because it all started and ended with the client experience. Yeah. And Dave to kind of put a little bit more on that. That first time around, I was kind of going with, you know, everybody says that you need to work with 65-year-olds that are selling their business and have a whole lot of money. Um, 
So I was kind of, that was my target client because that's what everybody else said that my target client should right. be. Um, mm. And that's not necessarily who I work with now that I've, I've restarted my business. I work a lot with 30 and 40 year olds, um, very rarely with 65 and 70 year olds. Um, so it was just a very different, you know, I was kind of trying to go the easy route, do what everybody else told me I needed to be doing. And um, it, it didn't work for me. You know, oh, okay, so, go ahead. No, go that, ahead brings, Bill. Uh, that brings a thought for me. You know, we, there are a lot of students now who are, um, a lot of people are going to college and coming right out of college and, and going into the financial planning business. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there should be some level of experience prior to if, if someone's coming out of college? Or do you think um, maybe jumping right into private practice or solo practice um, is a good path to go? It all depends on how many people you know and um, how many people your mom or dad knows. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I very first got into this industry and I would call up my dad and be like, why didn't you decide to go into financial planning so I could just take over your practice like all of these other young 20-something year olds in my industry? And he was like, sorry, I went into law and I don't think you should go into that. And I was like, okay, just wonderful. <laughs> Well, I think it also depends on like, who do you want to serve? So like somebody coming straight out of college with financial planning education and they're like, hey, like I want to service people who are a year mm -hmm. behind me. I mean, I think that makes sense to me because um, it's like you're you're close to it. You know the situations. Um, you can compensate through mentoring, through a lot of other ways um, for the places that you don't know. Uh, but somebody coming out and wanting to give advice on maybe some more really complicated financial planning stuff, I, I'd maybe be hesitant. Um, but at the same time, people always surprise me. So That is true. Yeah. Talent can come from anywhere. Um, I do wish I would have had that more direct path, you know, um, not necessarily going financial planning and then straight into a financial planning private practice. But having that formal education in the financial planning process before I got into the business to begin with uh, would have been a nice, uh, would have been, I think would have been, uh, would have been a tremendous help at, at building my business, at least being more confident in the advice I was providing. So one of the themes that I've been hearing from people, um, whether that's students or people who are like new or have several years of experience, is this lack of confidence that uh, new advisors have. What, from your perspective, helped give you confidence? Or do you still lack confidence? Or kind of what are your thoughts on that? Oh, Bill definitely needs to go first on confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, an area that I have problems with. Charlie could jump and cut this I didn't have – my confidence was in pricing, you know, and determining the value of my service. I know it was valuable. I just didn't know how much. So I had issues there, figuring out how to price my service. I never had any issues with going out and meeting people. I didn't have any confidence issues in, um, in you know, talking down and, and sharing that I had value. I just didn't know how to price it, you know. Uh, that was hard to figure out. And integrating what level of services I was going to offer – Especially when I del delivered my first financial plan, um, I think I charged like eight hundred bucks for it, and I had spent. It was with an engineer. I originally priced it at like sixteen hundred dollars, 
And um, it was just a number that I kind of pulled out of my hat based on how much time I thought this thing was going to take. And <laughs> he talked, he ended up talking me down to $800 because he said, you know, a lot of this stuff I could do myself. Um, I just needed someone else who had the time to do it, you know. And I was like, oh, well, how sweet, how nice. <laughs> yeah, I bet he did it himself on Excel spreadsheets that he sent you when you were like, what is this? Yeah. So that's where my issue came in. Uh, I, I struggled for a while, and, and then I, I developed a pricing model that was scalable and, and repeatable. And now um, that doesn't balk me at all. Like I can uh, – that was where my issue was. I, I don't have that issue at all anymore. I'll give the flip side to Bill. I had a lot of confidence issues. Um, I have all the way through growing up. Um, and the only way I counteracted it was through two ways. One was just by being someone who I wasn't which worked in the short term and didn't really work long term. Um, but time just actually helped get over myself. And it was a case of, you know, A, I understand what I'm doing, but why would anyone want to hire me? I'm just me. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So you got that hurdle to get over. And then it's that, you know, once people start working with you and you actually need to, you know, charge more, then you're like, well, why would people want to pay more to work with me? That doesn't make any sense. And then you have to go through that hurdle of explaining why your price is going up. Now I'm getting to a point of saying to people, you're not my ideal fit client. Why on earth would I insult someone like that? That's kind of where my, my mentality is coming from. But it's you just got to plow through it. And you got to go through and say, you know, I'm not the best person for you, but let me give you someone who is. Um, and it's just those mental blocks. And so for me, it was time just going through various different scenarios again and again, whether it's real or in my head, which is way worse. <laughs> um, and, you know, just just pushing through. And, you know, the more times you go through that situation, the more comfortable you feel um, and you actually understand, OK, I'm good at this. I can charge for it. Let's just keep going. Yep. I like that. Yeah. Um, I think I realized a couple of years into it that um, kind of the, the CFP, as much as I really, really appreciate the credential and all of the background education, um, it teaches you essentially how to be a financial engineer. It does not teach you how to actually have conversations with clients when they inevitably always throw a curveball at you. And it always comes out of left field. And you're always like, well, I didn't anticipate that. Um, <laughs> So I liken it to like dancing. Um, so if you're dancing and you have a dance partner, you cannot plan everything out beforehand. Um, so for the first couple of years in this industry, I was essentially trying to plan everything out beforehand. I would say this, maybe the client would say this, but it drove me insane when they would come out of left field with that curveball, you know, and it was frustrating. Um, and I finally realized like I can be prepared as much as I can be prepared, but I also have to learn the skill of being light on my feet. Um, so I think that's something where, um, personally, I enrolled for Toastmasters, which is uh, it's speaking. It has nothing to do with financial planning. Um, but they do a lot of exercises in there where, you know, they kind of do like a, a roundtable where you have to be really fast on your feet and think of answers to stuff and, you know, still have them structured and sound really good. And I think that that type of like business training could really help a whole lot of financial planners to be 
financial engineers that actually have a good bedside manner instead of financial engineers with a really horrible bedside manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to jump on all that, or to add on to all of this, um, I remember being in one of these, uh, you're a financial planner now, what seminars, um, several years ago and Patrick and Trudy were talking about how like when clients work with you, like they're paying for you, like they want to work with you. Um, and like what's different, obviously I I like to think that there is different elements of my process that make it more attractive for my ideal client. Like, yes. Uh, but at the end of the day, people are working with me for me. And I remember just about having like a panic attack as I was sitting there listening to it because I'm like this 26 year old kid. And I'm just like, oh my God, like all of these people are here for me. Don't they see who I am? Like, don't they see how little I have to offer? And so that was, I think a really big hurdle for me. And, um, Elizabeth Gilbert has this kind of saying with fear of like, once you recognize it, like fear is a good thing. And so like once, and so what I've started to do is when I sense that fear is just like, you name it, you say like, okay, I'm afraid. And now I have to take it and I have to set this aside and keep going. I mean, I still face that. I mean, even in the last several weeks, there have been times where I'm just like, oh my God, this is terrifying. Don't they know? Like, don't, don't they see what a fraud I am? Not a fraud, but like, they, they shouldn't be doing this with me. Like they should be talking to another advisor who'd be better and more qualified and all of these things. And it's like, okay, there's that fear, set it aside and move on. And so that's kind of how I've had to kind of process some of that. And I think this actually ties back into the question that you're asking, Bill, about do you, you know, what should you be, damn, I forgot the question now, all about how you're, you know, should you be doing the support yeah. role? Should you be solo? A lot of that comes into self-awareness. Like, are you aware of how confident you are? Is it something you need to work on? And if you're not as confident as you think you should be, if you don't think you can close a sale, don't open your firm next week. Like, maybe you should be in a support role to actually gain confidence and actually understand how a client meeting works. How does an initial prospect meeting work? And then you can take that into your own firm and say, well, I've seen this work before. Now let me do it. And... I think gaining that confidence by, you know, watching it and practicing it actually will help that firm grow faster. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. One of the, one of the most interesting things that, so this past Friday, um, uh, I participated with another firm and, and just doing what we call an information sharing session. Um, I had the operations manager come in and sit down with me and, and my assistant and, uh, an assistant that we're bringing on. Uh, soon to just kind of walk through their systems and we swapped ideas, we swapped planning processes, we swapped technologies uh, in terms of how we work with some of the tools that we share and it was incredibly valuable. You know, I was able to show, I was able to show them how some of the integrations that they have and we have in common, how they can work together and they were able to show me some of the, the documents that they used and that they created in-house to simplify their processes. So being able to have that partnership and working with another firm um, to, to, to build our own individual businesses is incredible, is incredibly valuable. And I'll say, like, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, my God, I wish I had that. And like, I, I'm looking for that and I can't find it. Like, keep looking because those people are out there who want to share that information and be that collaborative with you. Um, and sometimes we're just in the wrong circles and we need to just keep looking till we find those people. Yeah. And I'll add to that. Don't be afraid to, this is hard stuff. It takes a while to hone it. 
If you're starting from scratch and you don't have any of this stuff, don't be afraid to pay for it. Please put that in your budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, if yeah. you need to like, you know, tap into a network to be able to start your firm up, like don't be afraid to do that. If you need to like pay for initial processes, don't be afraid to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, because there are there are great resources out there that may not cost any money. But then again, there are things that might, you know, accelerate your progress that do cost money. And as long as you factored it in on the front end, um, you know, that's less time that you're going to flounder around trying to figure it out. Uh, I, I will say one caveat to that. I absolutely do not believe in paying for leads, right? You, there are a lot of things you can pay for, definitely systems, processes. But um, I would... Uh, and, and you guys may disagree with me on this, but I would definitely tell you that in this business, paying for leads is probably um, is probably worse than literally taking money, throwing it into a trash can, filling it with gasoline, and setting it on fire. Sounds like you're talking from experience, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Well, darn, so I can't sell you my list of uh, closely honed prospects that I have in the Austin area. <laughs> well, you can get me introductions. How about that? We'll do the introduction. <laughs> and I'll take you to lunch. <laughs> yeah, I think that it kind of depends on how generic or um, non-generic that your firm is. But I know for me that if I were to like pay for leads, I would get a bunch of people that weren't a good fit for my firm in the first place. And so I would have just paid for prospects where like, you know, I wasted their time and emotional energy and I wasted my time and emotional energy and I had to pay for it. Yeah. Mm. An interesting thing that goes along with that is, you know, if someone is working at a firm or they're thinking about starting their own, it is really valuable to do some market research on who you want to be working with. You know, I know there's a lot of, you know, firm owners who say, you know, yes, we work with you know, doctors who have student loan debt and all of this. Um, But I was actually turned off when I started my firm about working with pre-retirees or retirees rolling money over. I was like, that's, you know, everyone's doing that. Like, why would I do that? Well, actually realize why you do that because they pay money (laughs) to actually keep you in business. Mind Um, blown. It is the ability to pay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, my initial niche was teachers in Illinois I still have a passion for them, but they are slightly less willing to pay than someone who's going through a retirement transition who has a boatload of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and should I have, I probably should have done a lot more market research on that niche first. Um, and I actually did and ignored it because I was stubborn. But, you know, there are reasons why planners have open firmed and served that market first. Mm-hmm. If you try and buck against that, you can do and be successful. It just may be a little harder um, because you're you're trying to do something that either has been done and hasn't worked before, or you're trying to do something that hasn't been done before, and you're going to be a trailblazer. And you know, it also speaks, it go, kind of goes back to pricing as well. Like um, certain clients are comfortable paying in certain ways. You know, some clients would rather write a check and pay a project-based fee and be done with it. Other people don't want to see the money coming out. They want they don't necessarily um, they don't necessarily want to write a check or pay a bill on a month to month basis. Other clients want an audited, tracked report for every single dollar that they spend with you. And your business model and the clients that you serve should fit with how you want to operate. 
you know, how you want to charge, mm-hmm. who you want to work with, uh, what types of services that you want to offer, and how you plan on growing the business from that point forward. Well, and I love that mentality. Like it's, it's so client focused. It's like we start and end with a client. Like that's why we do the business. It's these businesses like, yes, I hope that I benefit from my business, but at the end of the day, like the clients are what's important. And, and that's what I love about what you're saying is the business model centers around the client, not what can I get from it? Right. Has so, here, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go for it. I was going to ask if, if everyone's um, identified a niche specifically that they work with and how they got to that point. That's just to piggyback off of what Dave was talking about with teachers. Oh, Bill, how long do you have? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Katie, I'm going to let you go first. (laughs) Um, You know, I I don't think, whenever I started my firm at that point, I had about 10 years of experience under my belt in the financial services industry. Um, And it was funny because I actually had a preconceived notion of who I did not want to be working with, which has changed over the last three years um, since I've opened my firm. So um, just from previous experience at a wealth management firm, I was about 99% sure that I did not want to be working with any doctors because I had had doctor clients before and they were a hot mess and they were always very stressful. I actually now work with probably about 30% of my practice is doctors, Um, either women physicians or couples that both work in the medical industry. Um, And three years ago, I would have been very adamant about there's no way that I'm working with doctors. (laughs) So I feel like, you know, the, the niche was something when I started and I kind of experimented with it, I gave myself a deadline of about a year and a half to figure out if that was going to work or not. And I had to reiterate and then reiterate again. Um, And so I do have clients that are mostly in their thirties and forties. For the most part, both spouses are working, but not all of them. Um, And then a lot of times they work in either medicine, um, finance, law, um, and I do have a couple of like architects and creatives as well. So that's my not super, super defined niche. But also, I really like being able to work with people that I like. <laughs> so I think that's kind of the qualifier that I usually have is, am I going to have a good experience? Or are they going to have a good experience? Do I like working with these people and talking with them? And are they going to value my advice? Yeah, Katie, I'll jump off of that. One of my biggest things is I only work with nice people now. Um, I worked with some not very nice people in the past. <laughs> um, and so when I started my RA, I was like, I'm only bringing nice people. Um, but one of the advantages of working with so many clients before is I really got to find who I worked best with and who worked best with me. And so I have two client personas written up. I call them my uh, successful Sally's and retiring Ricardo's. And so I have very, very specific elements about them. Um, they're, and a, most, not all of my clients, but most of my clients kind of fit in either one of those camps. And so when I'm having conversations with clients and they say something and I'm like, oh my God, like that's so on point with what other people like you are saying, like I'll come home and actually just pull up my document that I have just a running of like characteristics of my groups and just add those quotes in at the bottom. So I feel like I've gotten a really, really, good picture of who my uh, ideal clients are 
just from conversations um, and just having it be like a continual running document uh, that I, I keep adding to. But the only way I found that out was working with clients and seeing where was the natural fit. And a lot of my demographic or a lot of my characteristics are very, they're not, I mean, they are demographic, but it's more like psychographic of like, how do they view the world? Um, what are some common traits about them? I find it very interesting that you you have that written down in terms of statements that they may make that uh, that appeals them to you um, or endears them to you, um, <clears throat> and you're looking at emotional responses versus you know uh, career path or financial status or anything along those lines. That's a very interesting way of building out your 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 practice. And then the documentation is, 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 is really where the strength lies there. You have it written down. Here's the type of person I want to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually think our industry has done a disservice to the word niche in the last five years. Because when we're saying, oh, yeah, you need to work with a niche, it's like, okay, great, I'll pick dentists. Like, okay, yes, you'll streamline your practices, but you could be working with a group of people you really don't like. And so... What if you what if you gain there? You've gained a streamlined practice, but you hate your job. That you're worse off than when you were before, just being a generalist. Um, I really think niche needs to move into the way that you've just described it. It has to be psychographics and emotional responses versus where do you live, what do you do for a job, and how much do you make. That is not a niche, and that's how we've been portraying it for the last X years. Well, and Dave, just to jump off of that, like, and I think I keep harping on this idea of when, when you talk about the niche, like what's your motivation behind doing it? Is it for you? And like, I think, I think there's, if we don't have successful businesses, obviously we can't service our clients or is it truly client centered? I know my clients better than anybody else out there and this is what they need. Or is it about us? And I think what I'm hearing from you is kind of that divide of saying where we've done a disservice is we've made it about us and our business instead of how do we service our clients best. Well, I don't know about that. Um, I mean, I'm taking it to the extreme because I've lived the worst case scenario of what a niche is. Um, and I'll g- give you the backstory. I was a generalist, you know, support advisor, and then moving into client facing for six years. And then I threw all my eggs in a basket and opened a practice that focused on teachers. Was that focused on me? Well, in part because it made my practice easier because my clients were all the same and had the same benefit plans. But I really had a passion for teachers and I could not find anyone who was adequately servicing them that I wanted to join their practice. So I did it myself. Um, and the resounding feedback I got from that community is, where have you been? Like we have a lot of snakes in our field and now you're just giving us pure advice. The disconnect was we can't pay for it the way you're laying it out. Um, but it was the way that I had to lay it out if I actually wanted to get paid and not accept commissions and actually not work with a thousand clients to you know make a decent income. However, I've now transitioned into the, I would say I straddle now. Like I still have that passion for teachers and work with them, but my practice is more focused on the retiree market. I haven't niched down to say, oh, if you're retiring from X company and you make X dollars, you're my ideal client. My meetings very much go, if you're in that retirement headspace, let's talk. And then I will understand what type of person you are and if I want to work with you and if we're a good fit. 
because I don't want you saying, oh, I'm in retirement. That means you're a good advisor for me because I'm really not a good advisor for some people who are in retirement. And so I, I really enjoyed what you know all of you said about it needs to be a certain you know, psychographic, emotional response, headspace that that prospect is in for it to be a good space versus where they're working at. And that's my niche or what profession they have. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> I will say it does make it easier for marketing purposes, the more defined that you have, you know, who you're working with. And I think that's a lot of times why people go, you know, why people kind of bang on the drum of you have to have going into this. Um, and it's, it's really just because of word of mouth, you know, like if you work with a particular school district, the teachers probably all know each other, the principals all know each other. It's easier for you to leverage that, you know, in having a niche, being able to work with teachers. So, I mean, it does make it easier if you have a, a well-defined niche, but, you know, I always tell people that just because you have a niche does not mean that you can't work with people outside of that. It's just really like the way that you go about your marketing and kind of, you know, showing who you are and who you want to be working with. It doesn't mean that if somebody shows up on your on your door and says, I want to work with you, that you have to turn them away. You don't have to turn them away. It's just a niche is a way mm-hmm. of identifying who you're uh, who you're trying to attract. Yeah. Yeah. We could. And I think it, like we have to be adaptive. And so if something's not working, I mean, or if you're hearing common themes, it's, it's all about, just like you said, light on your feet, Katie. Yeah. And even having a niche doesn't mean you'll have a successful business. Like, let's take it to the extreme here. Um, you may pick the wrong niche. That niche may not be ready for you. You may be an ineffective marketer. Like, there's all these things that, yes, you know, a niche makes things easier, but it may not work out. You know, would it be easier for you to be a generalist because your circle is so big that you can just pick up a client pool like that? And that may be the best way to do business. So I think, you know, going back to being, you know, being self-aware of your situation, like where are you and, and what in, you know, is in your situation that may make it best for your business? Yeah, I would agree with that. I like the, um, I like the idea of specialization versus saying, versus saying I have a niche practice. You know, um, I can yeah. work with anyone, generally speaking, but I can specialize in business owners who are, you know, three to five years out um, or three to five years into their business making X amount of dollars and are looking to integrate uh, corporate retirement plans, right? So that provides a specialization, but it's not a niche. It's saying, here's an area where, you know, I have some specialized expertise in, but generally speaking, I can work with anyone that needs concrete and solidified high quality financial advice. And I think that's where the industry needs to go. That's the way the conversation really should be structured, in my opinion. I agree with you, Bill, 100%. I always think of it as if I had a friend who was starting a law practice and they said, hey, do you know anybody who needs any legal advice? That would bring to mind no people, zero. I'd be like, okay, if somebody, you know, or even worse, it would bring to, to mind somebody who really, really, really needs advice because they're in a poor situation, (laughs) which may or may not be a good fit for that business owner. But if somebody was a friend and they were starting a legal practice and they said, hey, I'm looking for, you know, couples in their 50s that have um, kids from like different marriages and they got remarried 
And I specialize in helping them out with all of the complexities of having, you know, kind of a mixed family. I would immediately think, oh, well, who do I know that kind of fits into that that I could introduce you to? And I mean, I kind of feel like it's it should be the same way in financial planning as well. It's a niche is just a way for you to explain to people who you like to work with that might actually prompt them to think of a specific person and not just a big sea of, you know, I have no idea who actually fits into this broad categorization. But I think, have we been using the word wrong as a profession? Because if you go outside of our profession and you're a niche doctor, well, yeah, a niche doctor is an ear, throat, and whatever specialist. They're not going to help fix your knee, which means that they aren't a generalist with a specialization. They're actually niche. Like They have a specific skill set, and they do not deviate from that. If we take that into our profession and say, you know, we're a niche professional, that means that we only work with a set specific number of people with a set you know, situation. So are we, should we be using the word niche? Should we be using the word specialist, like Bill said? I think it's, it's interesting. I think you know, maybe it's time to back away from that word a little bit. What I really want to know, is it niche or is it niche? <laughs> because oh, it's, I'm pretty sure I say it both ways depending on who I'm talking to. Yeah, I think uh, it, it depends on what part of the country you're in. <laughs> if you're in the <laughs> South, it's it's niche. We don't say yeah. niche. Um, kidding. Um, <laughs> Being British, I have that problem with about half the words I say. So it's, it's okay. <laughs> that should be a conversation for the next day, right? How is it ER advisor or is it OR advisor? Which one is it really? <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> oh, so oh, sorry. Go uh, ahead. No, go ahead. You're fine. I was about to kind of change the topic a little bit, so I'll let you go ahead. I was just going to make a, a stupid comment, so you're you're fine. Trust me, we're good. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh, so kind of pulling this conversation together. Um, one of the things that seemed to be a theme earlier on was this idea of reaching out for help when you needed it. And so I think what I'd like to pose to y'all is when did you reach out for help and who did you reach out for? And like, what are the resources that you relied on that other people can, can tap into? I'll go first. Um, I joined the FPA first. Um, I joined the Financial Planning Association and that provided me with a, a wealth of advisors who had either transitioned or came into the financial planning space. That was a minute, uh, that was very, very helpful. Um, I used the internet and YouTube um, <laughs> and listening to what other advisors were doing. I sent an email to Michael Kitsis um, early on when I was still at my insurance company to um, to talk to him about what the transition would look like. And, and then I talked to a couple of other uh, advisors that are fairly well now, known now in the industry. Um, I actually brought on a mentor. I talked to a guy who, at this point in time, when I was making my transition, uh, he, had, he had been three years removed from selling his practice of, uh, I think, 10 or 15 years for uh, 3 or $4 million. And uh, he was a wealth of knowledge to talk about... <laughs> Uh, to talk to um, when I was making my transition because he said, think with the exit in mind, right? Think with the ending in mind or start with the ending in mind. 
And it was incredibly helpful to, to, to think, well, how do I want this to grow and progress and where do I see it ending up? So that's what I did. Um, go ahead. Did you pay for him? Like, did you have to pay for that mentoring or uh, was it all free? Uh, it was, it was beer and pizza and sandwiches and lunches and lots of dinners. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on, let's go, uh, let's go grab a, let's go grab a quick drink. By the way, while we're out, I might ask you a few questions. Uh, don't mind me. Just keep on eating. I'll <laughs> 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 that works. <laughs> so no, not directly. I think the first time around, I mentioned that I tried to start my own practice the first time around. I didn't have a, a network or I didn't know who to reach out to. Um, so I think one of the you know things that I maybe would have done differently was I only had like the two people where I was trying to join their practice. And obviously they have a conflict of interest in me asking them questions about what's right or what they did because it's their practice. Um, so the second time around, you know, I, I mentioned that I had other people that had started their own practices, um, that I kind of leaned on and asked questions of. Um, so Sophia Barra was really helpful to me. Um, Hannah, you are always really helpful to me. Um, yeah. I, we're pretty sure that Hannah's brain is hardwired exactly opposite of how my brain is hardwired, but it's good because <laughs> it means that she can call me up when she needs me to remember some random you know, detail about continuing education. And I can call her up when I'm like locked in my little think box and can't get out of it. <laughs> um, so I was part of the Financial Planning Association for about 10 years, or maybe it was about eight years before I launched my own firm. Um, so it wasn't like I joined the FPA because I needed to go latch on to people to give me business advice. I'd kind of been in there for a while. I had volunteered with some people, gotten to know some people really well. Um, and from that, there were people that were willing to like answer questions that I had um, when I emailed them up or called them up. So that was really helpful to me, um, you know, to be able to kind of lean on people. So I feel like this time around, I've leaned on a lot more people. Um, I also joined XY Planning Network when it was kind of in its infant baby phases. Uh, just because I figured it was easier for me to be a part of a group that was trying to figure it all out together, um, as opposed to just being my one lone person on a rock. Um, and I have used a lot of the resources and templates and whatnot and conversations that go on there, um, to help out with my business. Yeah. I think when I launched my mental process started about four years beforehand, um, and it would go in ebbs and flows of, you know, I don't really like the CRM we're using at my office. What other options are there out there? And then finding the best one and saying, well, maybe I'll use this one when I launch. And then just doing that with different pieces of the process. You know, the same with deliverables. I have a problem with deliverables because they're never the way I want them. And so then I started my <laughs> own at home. I'm like, you're such a dork. Just watch the TV. Like, what's wrong with you? Um, so going through that process and then launching, I had a kind of a, an okay idea of what I wanted things to look like. I was heavily involved with NAPFA before I launched my own firm for about, um, so about 18 months before I launched my own firm, I started NAPFA Genesis. So there was some younger firm owners in there that I just asked them any question I could under the sun just to get their perspective on what their firm looked like. Um, I worked with Alan Moore on the board and he launched six months before me and would call me while I was at work. And he was saying, I got some downtime. Let me tell you exactly what I'm doing. 
I was like, this is not the best time, but I can't hang up the phone because I want to learn everything that you're doing. Um, and so just hearing people's stories. As I then launched my firm, I actually had an informal mentor um, that was helping me with marketing. And she had actually opened her firm as well. She was about three years on from where I was. And so as I was going through various transitions in you know, what I was doing inside the firm, I would try and find people three years removed from the position I was in because I wanted their experience to be really fresh. And so I, I know that, you know, contrast to what Bill says, I don't think that takes away from the value of what you've gone through, Bill, because I'm sure you've gained someone who has a lot of experience. The, pro the thing I had when I went through Genesis is when I was asking people, okay, what do you do, you do in your career? If they were 20 years removed from that, I didn't feel like their answers were as fresh as someone who was you know, three years removed and could give me a great story behind exactly what they've gone through. So I think having someone who was closer to the experience helped me more because I knew, okay, they've actually recently gone through this. Now I can understand exactly yeah. what you know they did and it's actually still not still relevant because I think a lot of people you know who are further along in their career, everything's still relevant. It's just, it meant a little bit more to me. And so I've tried to find people as I've gone through various transition points, you know, in my firm a couple of years out just to see what they've done and take experience from them. I feel like I learned something from a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I've had mentors, uh, kind of informal, but mentors that are probably 20 years older than me that have been in this industry for a really long time. And I feel like I learned something from them. Um, I have a study group where everybody's kind of in probably about the same place in their business. Um, and I learn a whole lot from them. Um, I've also kind of latched on to advisors that are two to three years further along in the business. Um, I do always make sure I can bring something of value to mm. them and that I'm not just, you know, holding on to their ankle while they're trying to run with their business. Um, but, you know, and then even people that I mentor, I feel like I learn stuff from them because they have, you know, a fresh perspective that maybe I had years ago, but maybe I don't have now. So it's kind of great to be able to see it through a lot of different people's eyes um, and then kind of put that together into what works for you. I'd agree. I went through the first year of my firm without a study group. Like I think what you just said there is important. And that was a lonely time. And ever since, you know, being in that study group now and just finding the good people that um, are in that group, again, very similar situations to me professionally, um, it really helps. The amount you can learn from those people is incredible. Um, and likewise, you know, you got to provide value in that group as well. Mm -hmm. But it's a case of these are your people. Like they're right with you in the trenches. They are doing the same thing you're doing. You're not an island. Like you're really not. As, so there's, you have, in my eyes, at a study group's essential. You have to do that if you're starting out because it is lonely at times. So being in that study group is, is it's essential. Yeah. And I would say like when I first started, so like my story is a little bit unique because from day one, I knew that I was like the succession plan. Um, and I think that added a lot of pressure, but I did, uh, went through like the local FPA, they did like a mentor match. And I just remember being devastated when I missed like the opening. And so I had to wait like nine months before I could get matched. But when I did, it was an advisor who had probably 20, 25 years of experience on me, very successful. Uh, she ran one of the most successful financial planning uh, companies here in Dallas. And 
I think what that did for me, um, like we went over like business plans and everything, but it gave me so much confidence. Um, and I think it really kind of hit at that issue of like, do I, what, do I have anything of value to offer to my clients? And she was really like, are you, are you joking? Like, of course, like, yes, like you have no idea how much value you have to your clients. And, and so that was really valuable to me, um, uh, where I was at the broker dealer, where I was at, a lot of the firms were run the same way. And I realized that was not how I wanted to run my firm. Um, but that was the only thing that I was exposed to. I mean, like it was to the level of like people's business checking accounts were like with their personal accounts. And they thought I was crazy for wanting to set up a separate business account. I mean, like that's the level that we were talking about. And, and so going through, um, again, it was a lot of the local FPA, a lot of the national FPA stuff. Um, but I was able to find like Patrick Darty. He was like, I saw how he ran his business and I was like, that's what I want. And uh, Bill kind of to your point of like the end in mind. And so for me, I was like, that's the business I want. I don't see that anywhere else. So I'm going to latch on to him <laughs> and learn as much as I can from him. And I did. And I think a lot of how I run my business is uh, mirrored after um, what he what he how he did his practice and I'm and I'm so grateful um, but I would agree kind of with all of you it's so many sources like your study group I mean my study group has been incredibly valuable to me um, national conferences meeting up having those conversations um, I've done like sudden money um, some of the processes the Fox financial planning network I mean those have been some of the resources um, I've also paid for coaches um, when I've needed them. Um, and that's been really, really helpful. Um, sometimes it's just a one-off thing and it just kind of helps me get past where my mental block, um, and other times I've done it more extensively. Um, but I think it's goes back to a little bit of that self-awareness and what do you need and where can you get that? Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, it, you gotta have a good, you have to have a good sense about you to say that I need help and I want help. This business can be very, very lonely to Dave's point. If you're working in your own office by yourself, some days I, I get stir crazy and I have someone in the office with me. Say, <laughs> so some days I'm like, hey, Jerry, let's just get out of the office. Let's go grab a cup of coffee or let's go grab lunch and we'll work, you know, uh, remotely. Um, because then it allows me to kind of get out of my head, get get out of my space and work on, on growing and taking this to the next level. Um, I absolutely believe in working with other advisors and other planners, much like everyone here on this uh, on this dais, because this is how ideas get shared and this is how growth happens. And uh, in order for us to become truly a profession, we're going to have to collaborate in this regard more and more. We hope you enjoyed this topic and this format. If you did like this format, please let us know. We're always looking for ways to improve this podcast. Send me an email at hannah at guidingwealth.com, or you can find me on Twitter at guidingwealth. And as always, thank you for listening.